Hey listeners, welcome to Barely on Topic, Boston Bruins podcast, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. This episode is episode 9, uh, Bruins Prospects with Kirk Ludicky, and we were able to have a nice long conversation with Kirk Ludicky of the New England Hockey Journal and the Redline Report, and he gave us so much knowledge on Bruins prospects uh, that I recommend you listen to this episode again and again. He was fabulous with the amount of time that he gave us, and he was so understanding that we were kind of quiet and nervous. Uh, we were just trying to be on our best behavior. Um, it was the first time we had a guest. It was a good time. I can say that we're all very, very excited about this episode. Um, so I recommend again and again you should listen to this. So we had our normal crew of myself, which would be yay, uh, Kate, Jeff, Nick, Timmy, and special shout out to Anthony, who also was with us, but he gets a gold star for setting up everything with Kirk Ludicky. So uh, thank you, Anthony, for that. Anyway, um, we did discuss the games of the week, both the past and the future, and uh, bare necessities. So enjoy. What happened this week with games? We had games. What were the games? Last night was the Senators, and that was just a heartbreaking, heartbreaking loss. It was a fantastic game, though. It was a great game. It was a great game, and that was the most exciting three-on-three overtime I've ever seen. It was ridiculous, yeah. And it's not even Tuca's fault. Mm -mm. No, no. No, you know, no, no. he made that one save and then, you know, he's struggling to get into position and he dropped his stick. I mean, he oh. couldn't help it, you know. Oh, the, yeah. the first wraparound save was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And if Stone hadn't taken that perfect angle to get around the net, Louis would have been in defensive position to, to at least, you know, interfere with the second opportunity. Right. But he took that, that angle perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, Stone's I mean, good. I mean, yeah. He is. You know, he also has that old man look to him that uh, Connolly has. He does. He's like 23, looks 35. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, but anyway, night, that's not really important. game, Tuca had 38 saves and <laughs> Craig Anderson had 33. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a fantastic game. Yeah. It was. If you're going to lose, you might as well lose that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, my point was like with like um, with like the Blues game when Tarasenko and Fabry scored. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. You can't like blame it on like some fluke goal or some third liner getting his first goal in like 75 games. I mean, it it just it's a loss. You lose sometimes, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, but Kate, I don't want to lose that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to lose I don't want to lose ever. I know. All right. Oh yeah. So we're talking about games, kind of, right? Okay. Kinda. So yep. Last night's game with the Senators was heartbreaking loss. Then we had the Devils, which I got. I didn't really pay much attention to that game. Eh, I don't think many people did. <laughs> they won four to one. What did they really need us for? And the, the Caps was another well fought loss, right? Which seems to be kind of the theme this week. Yeah. 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 This I'd rather season. have those than the um, Canadians, you know. Oh God, that game! <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Okay. Let's just put this in perspective now. 
they have scored three times on Holtby this year. Yes. Which is three times more than they did. Well, actually, it's not even a, a number. Uh, they didn't score you. on Holtby at all last year. Right. This year, they've scored three goals. Mm-hmm. So it's not even three times. It's a different thing altogether. So it, it's like it's almost like they're trying to win games. Three hundred percent more production, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've they've scored. You know, the problem is, is that yeah, you know, usually you have to score more than two goals to win against the Caps. So. Oh. They're putting it together slowly. They got one more meeting, right? One more meeting this year. But maybe they can get it together. Maybe Holtby can magically not play. Well, hopefully maybe. he doesn't. Uh, 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 <laughs> Timmy, why? I had to. I had to. It was staring me in the face. All right. So here on Barely on Topic, we like to have guests every once in a while. Actually, we haven't had a guest before, but now we do. So I'd like to introduce Kirk Ludicky from <laughs> the New England Hockey Journal. And he's on to talk about Bruins prospects. Hi, Kirk. Hello, everyone. How are we doing today on this fine Sunday? I think we're all pretty good. Everybody's all smiles. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm on audio, so I can't see you smiling, but that's that's fine. So uh, we're smiling. So yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, it's it's great to be on with you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get it going. All right, excellent. Who would, wants to start with questions? Anthony. All right. Uh, again, thank you for being on our show, Kirk. Um, I wanted to talk about Alexander Koklachev. Do you think he'll ever really get his shot here in Boston? Well, um, that's an interesting question because I think he has gotten a shot in Boston. And um, it, it, if you looked at the uh, the forthcoming prospect uh, article I've written, I do an annual review for New England Hockey Journal. Uh, Coco's number one on the pro prospects list. So it's it's a it's a when you look at his talent and you look at his potential, he has it. Uh, his his challenge in Boston has been he's not doing what the team expects of him, what they need him to do. Uh, some players are, are very talented, and the NHL has a long history of talented guys that have never managed to establish themselves in the league for one reason or another. So I think as far as Kogelchev goes, I, I wouldn't say he hasn't gotten a chance. He's gotten a chance. What, what is he doing with the chances? And I think a lot of fans uh, make the mistake of looking at what a player is doing in the game and looking at minutes and ice time and saying, well, that's not a chance. What, what fans don't see and what I uh, hear from coaches and, and other insiders who are around the team and can speak to what happens behind the scenes, you know, coaches have sat Coco down numerous times and have explained to him, this is what you need to do to be successful in this organization. And uh, I think sometimes the results speak for themselves. And when you look at, you know, a coach is not obligated to play a, play or play a player just because he's in the lineup. Um, coaches will look at what a, what a player's doing you know, throughout the course of a, of a game flow, and they'll say, this guy's not doing what we need him to do. And, and that begets greater ice time. So I've, I see the message boards, and I see this, this movement out there, Anthony, that you know, Coco isn't being treated fairly this now. I, I just really don't agree with that, uh, because from what I'm hearing, um, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with Coco himself and, and, and just not doing the things that this team has told him he needs to do to stay in the lineup. And when you look at other players who have been given similar opportunities to come in and, and just kind of 
play their way onto the team. You look at a Frank Petrano, for example. What's the deal? Why can't Coco seem to, to establish his niche? So I think it's part of it's on the organization, um, maybe for not um, for not doing a better job of, of either instilling Coco with the values that he needs to be successful and maybe not surrounding him with a more con- uh, consistent situation. I can appreciate that, and I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, but what I don't think is a fair criticism is what I see in some circles, which is this is a Boston Bruins problem, and it's the coach's fault, and it's the organization's fault, um, and there's no accountability leveled for the player. I rated him one for a reason. He has the talent. Uh, what Don Sweeney's challenge now is to to do is to figure out how to get something for him uh, in in what appears to be uh, an inevitable situation that he may you know move on and have to you know make his way in a different organization. But we'll see. We all a year ago we thought Ryan Spooner was essentially done in Boston and he turned it around. And if Coco's willing to do that, more power to him. But he's got he lacks one thing that Spooner had in spades, and that's speed. And I think that that kind of hurts his chances overall. Excellent. Anybody? I mean, do, do, do you guys see the same? I mean, we could, we can, we can debate and discuss. I mean, if people think I've got it wrong, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have a monopoly on knowledge. All I can do is I, I look at a guy like Alexander Kovalchev, and he doesn't do anything with the chances he's given. Conversely, I look at him at the AHL level, and he's aggressive, and he's attacking, and he's uh, doing all of the things that excited people when he was coming out of the OHL. So oh. as a longtime hockey evaluator, I look at that and I say, that doesn't square with, I, I, don't, I don't understand why there's such a difference. And I think at some point um, you have to, you know, and again, I'm, I'm a military guy too. I look at the player and I say, what are you not doing to hold up your mm. end of the deal? And uh, so again, if someone can point to me where he's actually done something um, profound to warrant a bigger um, opportunity at the NHL level, I'd love to see it because, quite frankly, he's had numerous call-ups and, yes, limited limited shifts, but he just isn't, isn't really doing much to um, get the coach's attention. I think this is, again, what I, what I said originally, where fans don't see what's going on in practice. They're not around the coaches when they're talking to him. They're not in the meetings when, they're, when those coaches are saying, hey, Coco, look, you know, we get it that you're an offensive player, uh, but you know, when the puck is in the neutral zone or is in the defensive zone, this is what we need you to be doing. And when the coaches don't see him doing that in his early action, that's why he takes a seat on the bench and he doesn't get as much of, a, of an opportunity. And I think sometimes people kind of lose sight of that and they just turn it into a, well, you know, what I'm seeing in the games that he's not being treated fairly. I would submit to you there's another side of the story. And that's what I've tried to, to convey here on this podcast. Oh, I've seen him play in Providence numerous times, and I am frustrated by how good he looks down uh, with the Pea Bruins and how he seems to do nothing when he's up with the, uh, the big club. It, it, it doesn't square. He's he's passive and unengaged at the NHL level. And, you know, um, you can do a lot of things in the NHL uh, and still be given opportunities. Uh, when you're passive and you're unengaged, those are two things coaches just don't have any coming for. And so I think this is... This is as much, if not more, a Coco issue as it is a Bruins issue. Mm. And so, you know, I would love for him to be successful. Uh, certainly the Bruins would love for him to be successful. They, they spent a, you know, a second round pick on him for a reason. Um, but I just don't buy into this, oh, it's a personality thing or it's a Russian thing. You know, he's got to figure out ways to, to make himself relevant. And again, I, I believe the coaches and management look at it the same way. They look at him in Providence and they say, how is this guy 
so effective down there, and he can't, and he's not doing it in the NHL. And sometimes the answer is simply there. There are a long list of players in history who have been great, uh, productive AHL players who just lack a certain something to their game to translate it to the NHL, and that might be uh, what it is with him. But I think the team's challenge now is if they are going to move on for him, you know, they don't want to crater his value to the point that they can't turn him into an asset. And so I'd be mm-hmm. curious. I could see him being part of a package deal or something like that, um, you know, to bring something back if the team decides, hey, we're going to, we're going to move on from, but, but very skilled player. I mean, it's not, it's not, per- my, my criticisms aren't personal with him. Uh, again, I've seen him do some, some remarkable creative offensive, uh, uh, displays down in the farm. I just haven't seen, you know, anything really remotely resembling that at the NHL level. Yeah, I think I think the only thing he's done in the NHL was that shootout goal last year, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. over a year ago, and it was yeah. that's it. And I mean, and again, there is there is validity to people who say, well, hey, um, you know, he just he's not getting the ice time, and he hasn't isn't getting the consistent line mates. Those those are those are valid arguments. But what I turn back, I always say, well, okay, I'll concede that. Explain to me what, what has he actually done, though, to warrant the bigger ice time and people have a hard time, other than, well, he was a second-round pick and we know he's skilled. Well, you know, in a perfect world, you have, enough, you have unlimited ice time that you can just, you know, give to people and allow people like that who are struggling to work through. We don't live in a perfect world. So, again, I, when I go back to, well, well you know, Tell me why he should is worthy of getting 15, 16, 17 minutes a night with a consistent you know, lineman. Who else is going to now sit so that the Bruins can experiment with a player who's shown very little inclination to be engaged and be aggressive the way he is in the AHL? And I think that's the problem, uh, the passivity and the lack of engagement. So, you know, he's had opportunities to send a message. And I think a point to Frank Vetrano. You know, why can't, you know, I mean, Vetrano seems to have, to have taken his opportunity and run with it. Um, there's no reason why a second-round pick versus an undrafted free agent shouldn't be able to do the same. So, you know, that, that, I think I think Coco's probably run its course on the, on the broadcast, but that's, that's just how I see it, guys. Do you think maybe with Coco that it could be a confidence thing at the NHL level, that maybe that's what's kind of playing into it? It's all in his head at this point? Sure, sure, but, it, it, but that doesn't, I mean... Uh, then I then if it is a confidence thing, I'd say is this the guy and a guy you see, um, you know, becoming something more? Uh, is he is he worth investing the time in? Because again, you know, Ryan Spooner was forced into a situation a year ago to where he had to perform, and to his credit, he did, and that's why he's now, you know, playing on the second line with another injury to David Krejci. Um, you know, his confidence may have been down, but he did something with it. And and at some point, you know, where where do we just keep saying it's a confidence thing and, you know, we just need to keep giving him a chance and keep rolling him out there. You know, uh, Albert Einstein said definition of insanity is trying the same thing, you know, uh, and, and, and hoping you're going to get it, you know, repeatedly and hoping you're going to get a different result. Uh, I, I just, every time they bring this guy up, I, I have to strain to look for him on the ice. When I do see him, he's not doing much of anything uh, that that leads me to believe that he has um, that he's impressing upon the coaches that 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 someone else should move out of the lineup so that he can move in, and that's that's really the rub. Well, it's unfortunate that that's what's going on with Coco, but you know, it's good to see someone who who actually evaluates talent uh, um, have some some 
challenge, the challenge a lot of times is, is, is you know, it, it comes down to, you know, fans are fans for a reason. Um, you know, they support their team. And some, some people will just, you know, some, I see it a lot where some people will just glom onto a player because they like the idea of him being successful. Uh, and certainly, you know, Coco, uh, you know, was, was, was playing with a flourish down in the OHL, and there's a lot of things to like about this player. And, uh, but I just think that he's, he's always been a guy I thought was a bit overrated um, from the very get-go by people who probably had very little exposure to him, um, just, just thinking he was going to be this guy that was going to come in. I, I remember in his draft year when the Bruins picked him, there were people talking about him making the team like right away, you know, at age 18. I said, Hey, let's see how he, you know, let's, let's look at him in training camp for, you know, come on guys, you know, and I, that's just the nature of fandom. It's the shiny new toy thing. I get it. Uh, but, but I think more than anyone, Coco is just a player who has never really done a whole lot to justify. And if you looked at how he played in the KHL, that was your first real red flag that he was going to kind of struggle at the pro level, that he wasn't going to be one of these players like a David Pasternak who could just come in right away and, and, and make an impact, not only at the AHL level, but the NHL level as he did a year ago. And and not everyone is, is going to do it. Some people take longer. But I think the longer Coco goes and he's still not really showing much at this level, that's at some point you just have to kind of be willing to cut your losses and move on. All right. Um, I think that Kate has a question. Oh, hi. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Zach Sinitian. Um, mm-hmm. When he was drafted, it seemed like everyone I knew was really dumbfounded by this pick. And I wanted to know if you could maybe speak to us about his play this year, because he seems to be doing really well. And I just kind of wanted to um, maybe have you talk about that for a little bit just how he's doing. Yeah. Well, I think he's terrific. Um, he's already, he's already equaled his goal total for, uh, from a year ago and, and almost 30 fewer games. Um, we'll, we'll die. We'll, we'll, we'll roll the, the clock back a bit and, and talk about what his action was a year ago compared to where he is now. And that has a lot to do with it. So, uh, last year, the Sioux Greyhounds were one of the one of the most veteran and uh, teams in the, in the Ontario Hockey League, and they were they were seen as a as a team that was you know contending for a Memorial Cup berth. Um, Zach was playing his first year in the OHL, which is important to note because a lot of times these high draft picks that come out of jun- major junior are in their second uh, season in their respective leagues. As a 16-year-old, he did not play in the OHL. He he played in Tier 2 for for Smith's Falls, um, which is a step lower, and then he made the OHL last year. Uh, so he is, he is actually, uh, compared to many of his peers, uh, he, is, he is a year behind at that level. He has one fewer year uh, in, in, that, in that developmental system of the Ontario League than many of his peers do. Um, so last year, he was spending most of his time on the fourth line and he wasn't getting any power play time of note. So despite that, he's, he went out and scored 26 goals. And when you looked at him and I only saw him on film and, and, and to be honest, that's all I've, I've seen this film study. I've, I've not seen Zach live, but what I noticed, uh, what I noticed last year and looking at some of his film and the goals that he scored was that he had this great skating stride, just the, the ability, the long loping, powerful stride that allows him to, to beat defenders wide. 
uh, with relative ease. I mean, he'll just blow by guys on the outside, and then he he plays in pretty straight lines. I mean, it's, his game is not not complex. It's not a lot of east west lateral stuff. It's just pretty much straight up and down the ice. But he's so explosive that he'll get the jump on someone, and then before you know it, he's taking the puck right to the net. So when I looked at that, I said, "Wow, that's impressive." But I'll, but once defenders get wise to him, it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to beat beat guys wide. Fast forward to this year, he's playing on the top line. He's getting a ton of power play time, and as a result, he's already you know we're, we're just into early January, and he's already tied the, his number of goals from a year ago. And he looks like he's he's on pace for forty, maybe even fifty goals if he keeps going. Um, so why is that? Uh, I think that he's still beating defensemen wide, which I think is is key because it tells me they're having a hard time just defending him. They know what he's going to do. He's going to he's going to take the puck um, probably in full gallop in the neutral zone. That's what uh, Sue tries to do. Um, they try to hit him with speed in the neutral zone, you know, from their D. Uh, and uh, when he's got when he's when he's moving out, it's very difficult for defensemen if they're not in position. Um, he's just going right, got you know. He's going right by guys because they're backing up, and he's he's moving forward. Um, he's got excellent hands. Uh, I think he's more creative than he got credit for uh, last year. I kind of thought, uh, I don't know how creative he is. He just kind of goes to the net, puts his stick down, and he's he's you know he's got a good shot and he's scoring goals that way. Uh, but this year, I'm seeing some creativity. The challenge with him is he doesn't that the the, you know, the Sioux Greyhounds sold out last year to win the cup. And they didn't. They didn't even win the Ontario League Championship. So, um, you know, as a result, it's a, it's not as strong a team this year. And so he's having to carry the mail a lot. And I think that the, the lack of a, a high-end supporting cast around him means that he has to do more of the creating. And that's why you see more goals. He's got 26 goals and 11 assists. And, that, you know, he's more of a, a finisher than a setup guy. But they're just... You know he's he's having to, to 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 be kind of the lead sled dog on that team, and so for him to be doing what he's doing speaks very well, and that's why I have him ranked as number one on 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 the Bruins system in terms of the amateur side of prospects. I've got him at the top because I think he has that ability to one day do it in the NHL. Okay, thank you. All right, so I think Tim had another question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, two of my favorite prospects happen to both be goalies in the Bruins system, um, Malcolm Zubon and Zane McIntyre. I was just wondering mm -hmm. who you felt would be the more polished prospect at this point, and if uh, playing the NCAA versus not kind of plays into that at all. Yeah, so I think Subban is definitely more polished than McIntyre, and he's ahead of McIntyre. Um, but I, I like personally, I mean, it's, it's very close. Like the margin between these two is razor thin. Um, they're, they're similar players, uh, in that, um, they, they have good size and I, I believe they both have number one starter potential eventually. That's uh, a very difficult, um, ticket in Boston because you've got a guy named Tuka Rask that's quite good. Um, so I, I don't think fans should be in a hurry to, um, either see these guys in, in Boston like right now or to trade one of them necessarily, because uh, I think uh, you certainly um, you, trades for the sake of making trades are, are, you know, kind of more, more fool and folly than, than sound strategy. Um, but at the same time, I, I think you can never have too many goalies. So 
Uh, they look good. Uh, Subban's more polished because he's got more experience at the at the pro level. You know, he's in his third year and he's getting the bulk of the starts, whereas McIntyre's a first year pro. This gets back to fans being fans. I remember over the summer I had people contacting me asking me, "Do you think Zane McIntyre can be the Boston backup right out of the gate?" And I said, "No, he's." He's a rookie pro. He's never so much as seen a shot at the AHL level or the ECHL level, let alone NHL. Why do you want to put someone in that kind of you know situation? Zane McIntyre has always been a guy that has his technique has uh, is something that that he's been working on steadily since he was drafted. He was not a a fundamentals goaltender when he, when they picked him out of uh, Thief River Falls High School in 2010. He's a a tremendous character hard worker, more of a Tim Thomas kind of battler mentality where he uh, is just so highly competitive, uh, smart, driven, uh, that he makes saves not because he's got flawless technique, but because he'll find a way to get one inch of equipment onto the shot to keep it out of the net. Uh, So he's had a lot of work. He's been refining his game. He's gotten much better, but I think He's still, you know, certainly looking at him early in the season with Providence. Um, his glove hand wasn't quite where it needed to be. Uh, he, he was giving up some goals to that side early in the season. So he's got some things still to work on. Um, Malcolm Subban is very similar. He had uh, fundamentals questions about him because he came late to the position. Um, didn't, didn't start playing goal full-time, I believe, until he was 13 years old. Uh, which meant that in his draft year, he was kind of, there were kind of some there were some some kinks he needed to work out. He's still doing that. What Malcolm Subban brings to the table is he's got you know, he's probably a, a top one percent athlete in the league, in that he can just do things that other people can only dream of physically. Uh, someone told a scout told me a story in in the draft year that that he witnessed him kind of messing around with some of his teammates. Um, there were, there was a banner that was hanging you know, quite a few feet above and they were, they were all jumping up trying to grab it and, and unsuccessful. And, and the scout witnessed Subban just very easily do a vertical leap and rip the banner down um, or touch it, you know, whatever he did. I don't remember the story. It was, it was, it was secondhand, but the bottom line is this scout was like kind of awestruck at just the sheer athletic ability of Malcolm Subban. So um, where they are right now, Subban's the more refined, um, I don't think it's necessarily an NCAA versus a junior thing. It's a it's a pro experience thing. Um, you know, McIntyre's in his first year. He did get a chance to play more games than he would have because Subban was hurt, and uh, it was kind of up and down. It was a roller coaster. Let's be honest. Um, McIntyre wasn't that great. I mean, he's he's certainly showing flashes of potential, uh, and he's a tremendous character individual. And I believe that one day he's going to be a number one and i i have him ranked ahead of suban um because i think his his intangibles his leadership his character his personal drive are higher but that's all that's a subjective assessment um in the end i think suban's closer in his development to, to to being an nhl potential player and we'll just have to see where it goes um i have a follow-up on suban um uh-huh. last year Subban got his uh, first NHL start um, against the Blues mm-hmm. uh, when they were on the road trip, the uh, big Western road trip. Um, do you think it was really necessary to play him against the Blues as opposed to the Oilers, um, which I think was either the night before or two yeah. nights before? It just seemed like they were throwing him a little bit to the Wolves. And, um, yeah. I think yeah, that, it was um, 
Hold on. Yeah, I think that the fans kind of uh, looked at it, uh, at, at Subban poorly after that. Um, and so I'm just wondering if you think that was uh, a good move on the part of the Bruins or not. Well, you know, I wouldn't say it was a good move. I wouldn't say it was a bad move. I'd say it was a curious move. Um, you know, look, these guys are pros, and sometimes, you know, the flip side to that whole thing is instead of coddling Subban, see what he's made of. Um, I think the pragmatic argument that you that you certainly brought up was putting him against the Oilers might have been a better uh, matchup for him, and I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, the Blues are one of the top teams in the NHL. They were last year in the regular season, and, and they are again. Um, and it was it was ugly because <laughs> we all know what happened. And you're right. You know, fans are just going to be fans. I mean, there there are, there are people who pay attention closely uh, and watch players when they develop and kind of get the whole hey. You know, not everyone can just come in and be a star right away like Patrice Bergeron was. Um, but, but by the same token, you know, they're not in it to follow those. They're not in it to follow the young kids. So all they know about Malcolm Subban was he was a first-round pick and he's PK's brother, so he should be awesome. And when he comes in, and he and he clearly, um, you know, wasn't uh, ready for prime time. Um, you know, there, there, there's going to be this natural. Uh, you know, tendency to criticize and all that. And there's, there's not much really you can do about that. That's just, that's just part of life. Um, as far as Subban, again, I, I don't think it's, I think it was a good test for him. You know, his first start didn't ideally go the way he wanted to. Um, but I'm not a fan of coddling players either. I mean, this is the, it's the NHL. Um, whether you're playing Edmonton or you're playing St. Louis, uh, whether you're playing the Washington Capitals tomorrow, or you're playing the Columbus Blue Jackets, Guys need to perform, and when they're called upon, they need to be ready to go. And maybe this was just as much a test for the Bruins. Um, it's very possible they were sending a message to Malcolm Subban. Um, I don't know. This is speculation on my part. But um, if he was thinking, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm ready to go. You need to be giving me an opportunity. Um, maybe putting him in that kind of situation. You know, if he goes out, he does great against St. Louis. He's made a very convincing case that, that he is, in fact, uh, that individual, uh, when he goes out and performs the way he did, maybe it's, it was important as much to send a message to Malcolm Subban that, hey, you're not quite ready and you're maybe not as good as you think you are. You still have work to do. So I can understand both sides. Um, if it were me personally, I probably would have put him in there against Edmonton and tried to build up the confidence. Um, but again, this gets back to what I said on Coco. There are things that happen behind the scenes that we don't we don't have an appreciation for because we're not there. Uh, we don't know what the coaches are seeing. And, and sometimes a coach's job is to give a player some tough love. And, um, you know, he, he let's not forget Malcolm Subban had an opportunity to perform and to demonstrate to the coaches that he was a, um, a top prospect and a true gem in the organization. And he, and he fell short. That's on Malcolm Subban. It's not, you know, he still has to go and make the saves. So, um, you know, while I agree that, that, you know, if it were me, I would have put him against Edmonton. Um, I, I also, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not a helpless, you know, blameless victim in all of this. He needed to play better. He didn't. And uh, hopefully when his next turn comes at that level, he'll be prepared. Right. Right. I mean, I, I, I agree with you on all of that. I just, I guess when I was excited last year that he was uh, getting the call up, I was hoping they were going to put him against the Oilers. But I think it's uh, – I'm the kind of person who would rather build somebody's confidence than kind of mm-hmm. shake him up a little bit too much. 
Um, okay. Like uh, I said, if you want if you want to win hockey games, you got to you know what 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 did uh Randy Macho Man Savage used to say or whoever well, I'm not sure who it was, but to, to be the man, you got to beat the man, and and so um, <laughs> but yeah, and that that's all you know that's all that's all you know the points are relative, but I I see you know I see a lot Virginia I see a lot of coddling on the internet a lot of oh you know like these guys are are shrinking violets sometimes you know there's there's something to be said about throwing them into the fire and see how they how they respond um i was more disappointed in that he just seemed to be absolutely out of his element like like wholly unprepared uh and that was what concerned me and and again there's validity to hey put put someone in a better situation build their confidence um, but I was genuinely curious to see how he would uh, how he would weather the storm against uh, a team like St. Louis, and uh, the results were pretty sobering. And it kind of reminded I think it certainly reminded me that you know these goaltenders develop on different timelines, and there's nothing wrong with leaving them down in the minors a, a little longer and, and instead of this this incessant need I think by most to get the shiny new toy up to the NHL level, so that you know I think people are largely self indulgent and they just want to be able to see their player play at the level because, you know, you know, they don't have time to go watch Providence. And, and I can appreciate that, but it, it was a reminder that, Hey, bring these guys up with their, when they're ready, as opposed to um, clamoring to bring them in when they're, when they're not ready and unprepared. Excellent. Um, just trying to figure out who's going to go next here. <laughs> is it Nick or is it Jeff? And we have time. We can keep going. I'm fine. Well, I'm on a roll. So Actually, you want to I got a quick question about this as long as you want. Yeah. Um, this is Nick here. I got a uh, question still about the goalies here. Do you think, do you see either of them maybe making the jump to the backup role next season? Yeah, no, I think absolutely next season is, um, you know, is, is, is certainly uh, open season. I, as a matter of fact, I would be disappointed if Subban did not, you know, uh, assuming he's not traded or moved. I I firmly believe next year is, is Malcolm's opportunity to go grab that backup position. Um, you know, he's playing better. He started off, I don't know if you guys, how closely you were following Providence. He, he missed the beginning of the season, the first few weeks uh, with a lower body injury, which is bad news for goalies. As a former goalie, I'll tell you, um, those are those are those are problematic because they tend to linger, and 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 especially a goaltender like Subban, who relies so much on his explosiveness and his pads, um, he's he's extremely tough to beat down low. And so he was he was a gong show uh, when he first came back from his injury. Uh, did not play well at all. Um, but he is really to his credit uh, in December and, 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 and forward. He's been much, much better. Uh, he's, this is, this is what we were kind of hoping to see from him a year ago. Uh, and to Jeremy Smith's credit, I mean, Smitty played very well and, and kind of cut into Subban's ice time. Um, so yeah, I think next year you could see Subban. I would, I would be, I would be cautious for McIntyre. I think, you know, he could certainly come in and, and, and play well and, and raise a lot of eyebrows in a positive fashion, he has it in him to do that. But I think, you know, if, if things work, ideally you want, um, you want Subban, um, maybe up with Boston next year as the backup. And then McIntyre's your number one in Providence. He's got a year under his belt and he's ready to maybe take that next step. And maybe you bring in Daniel Vladar, um, next year to back up, mm. uh, McIntyre. Um, but you know, we're way ahead of ourselves. It's only January. That's true. Um, a lot can happen, and uh, again, 
Um, but but the question was, could you see one of them being in Boston? And the answer is absolutely yes, especially right. the way Subban is playing right now. <clears throat> Excellent. Thank you. All right, I think we have Jeff up talking about uh, defensive prospects. Um, yeah. Uh, more specifically, I want to talk about Jeremy Lazan, seeing as I'm, uh, you're on the record being pretty hot on him. I, I remember not long after the draft, you said he uh, has a chance to be the best of the three from the first two rounds. Um, That's correct. So in that case, it sort of leads me to the first of a couple questions I have on him. is uh, Why do you think he ended up sli- slipping quite that late in the second round? I know it was a strong draft, but um, quite a few defensemen uh, that are not performing like he is this year went well before him. Uh, Jacob Zaboral, most uh, notably, of course. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a curious play. He was kind of under the radar. Um, you know, Ruan Noranda, as you, I, w- I wouldn't say that a lot of maybe it's it's not a it was not a preferred destination for scouts mm-hmm. in the queue last year. Um, I think in in Lazon's case, uh, he's he's about six two, one ninety five. So you know, he's pretty you know he's pretty average sized. Uh, defenseman, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's below average or above average. He's kind of he's kind of right in that that sweet spot for what you're kind of looking for right now. So he doesn't he's not physically imposing like a Brandon Carlo, for example. Uh, he doesn't play a real flashy, dynamic uh, game the way uh, you know Noah Hannafin and maybe Ivan Provorov did. Even Zach Wierenski, those were your top tier guys. Um, in Lazon's case, I, 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 I can't really explain that he, he went right around where most people, many people had him ranked, you know, as a, as a second round prospect, you know, every year there, there are just players that are, are taken lower, um, because it's so hard to project 17, 18 year old kids. And then they'll take that, they'll take that next step. And, um, what I like about Lazon is that he does everything well. Uh, he's kind of your he's kind of your ideal blend between what you get in Zaboral. Uh, you know, he's not quite as offensively gifted with those those great natural tools that Zaboral has offensively, but he's close. Um, then you took take Carlo, and Carlo is a dominant shutdown defender. Uh, you know, he's got at least three inches and a much bigger reach. And in, in, in Carlo's case, what people don't realize is he's got a longer wingspan than most people his size do, which adds to his attractiveness. So Carlos kind of got these, I don't know, I don't, I'm not trying to be insulting, but they're like gorilla arms. Um, <laughs> and so that gives him a much bigger reach, uh, longer reach than, a, you know, even a six, five guy would have. He's more got, he's got the reach more like of a six foot seven defenseman, um, which I think plays into Carlos dominance on the shutdown side. Um, Lauzon doesn't have that either. But he's very good defensively. He's someone who's playing upwards of 30 minutes, close to 30 minutes in all situations. He's smart. He's physical. He's rugged. Um, so what you have in Lazon is you have you have a Zaboral who's very you know on the one side more more of an offensive go go guy, um, and then in Carlo more of a defensive shutdown guy. Uh, they can do both both things pretty well. Um, but Lazon is probably just your you know, you take a to take a look at the ideal pro kind of prospect defenseman. He's kind of he's kind of what every team is looking for in that he has no discernible weaknesses in his game. And I think, you know, it's a shame Canada didn't take him 
Uh, I don't know that he would have been the difference, but he would he would have been ideally, I think, what they needed on the on the blue line, and he probably would have played very well at the World Junior. But I think you know he'll he'll be there next year for sure. All right. So Jeff, did you have a follow up on? I did. Yes, and it's um this is interesting. So I've seen it was on play. Um, uh, it was against uh, Halifax, so it comes with some caveats because Halifax is a really terrible team this year. Um, but it seems at times he's really too good for the queue already. Um, like a shift to shift, he'd seem to be alternate between absolutely dominant, you know, zip around the ice and mm-hmm. the puck, no one could catch up with him or touch it. And others where he would seem very disengaged, just lean back from the, uh, hanging back from the play, which for me, it seems like he was almost being bored by the quality of the competition. Now I didn't see someone that will likely be NHL ready in the fall, of course, but I don't just, I don't, feel like another season in the queue would do him much good but i know with his age there's not much choice so i guess really what i'm asking is less about lazan and more about your thoughts on the impact of the chl nhl transfer agreements and how it affects player development i suppose yeah i mean it's a it's an economic it's a it's a viability thing it has it has very little to do with player development and everything to do with these teams uh depend on you know, depend on revenues. They've got to bring fans into the buildings, and if they were to allow NHL teams to um, take take their talent in the prime of their careers. Because I mean, really, it comes down to junior junior age players are 16 to 20, turning 21 in their overage season, and even junior teams are restricted from having certain number of overagers. Uh, so within that window. Um, there are certain players that NHL teams, if they could sign and move them to the AHL at 18, they absolutely would because they don't want them. In, you know, they don't necessarily want them in junior. However, that would that would essentially kneecap those junior teams um, not have not being able to 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 have those those star players at that age because most you know the the, the Sidney Crosby's, the Connor McDavid's, uh, the Nathan McKinnons, you know, the prodigies that really you know, show up to their junior teams at 16 and just take over right away and start, you know, become star players right away. Those are, those are fewer and far between. Uh, most junior teams don't really see the true production uh, and, and the star power coming out of their players until after they've been drafted into the NHL. So that's very, that's a, that's an important revenue maker for them. And so I just do not under the current system. I don't see that changing. Um, what I would okay. not mind seeing is if the NHL were able to work an exceptional player agreement to where um, they could identify one, maybe one player who's between the age of 18 and 20, uh, not, you know, that, that, that that's close to it, maybe goes to NHL training camp and plays so well that the NHL team could then designate, you know, exceptional player status on that one individual and, and say, Hey, look, you know, we're going to sign him, you know, you're, so you require the NHL team to sign them to an entry level contract. And then perhaps, uh, you know, the, the team, the junior team just has to deal with, you know, losing that one player, uh, to, you know, to the minor league. The problem is though, you just have no way of knowing how many of those players, junior teams are going to have. And by doing just even designating one exceptional player, you could be hamstring. You, know, you could just have a profound effect on a, on that junior franchise by taking them away. You know, right after they've been drafted. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if they'll ever get there. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Lazon is because of his age. He's April 28, 1997. He will not be able to be a a full time AHL player. Uh, you know, until the 2017-2018 season. 
Um, and so that means, you know, he's back for another, he's back this year and he'll have to be back next year unless he makes, uh, makes the big club. And, and, and you're right. I don't see him, you know, being able to supplant any of the, any of the guys that are either on the roster now or, or projected to be, um, you know, pro players, uh, you know, in the fall, uh, and they've got a few NCAA players that are going to have to be signed and, and brought into the system as well. Um, so to think that Lausanne is going to go in and win a job, and I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, I, I didn't believe Kyle McLaren would, would win a job as an 18 year old on the Brewers back in, in 1995, but he did. So you don't rule it out, but you're right. It's kind of a, it's kind of a tough, uh, situation for for the Bruins and for Lausanne but you know the system is what it is and I'm just gonna have to deal with it so I guess ultimately I guess for most players it's fine but in a case like Lausanne do you think it's in the end bad for the player to be that to be in that situation even though there's nothing Um, to be done about it or yeah I mean look it's like you know it's it's the system right so he's got to just continue to, to to play as well as he can um, if he stays in junior next year, he'll, he's, he's a shoe in for the, for the 2017 team Canada world junior team, given how far he went and how well he's played, you know, in terms of being an injury replacement and being one of the final cuts, he'll make the team next year. So that'll give him an opportunity, um, you know, to go to that. And, and, and again, I, there's no easy answer here. He's one of the, there are, there are always players, uh, a few every year that are kind of, but, you know, they're in this situation where, you know, you, you would, you would ideally like to see them be able to move up a level. Um, you know, you're looking at Austin Matthews that the Bruins really felt like, like, uh, Lausanne was, um, not, um, you know, best served at playing another year junior, but they can't bring him to the AHL. They could maybe quietly encourage his, his agent to, uh, get him a European contract and go play, play in Switzerland for a year if they felt that would be beneficial. Um, the player gets a vote. Jeremy might, might really feel a sense of loyalty to stay in Rohan or Honda. I don't know. Right now they're loaded for bear. They just picked up Timo Meyer. Uh, they've been picking up some other pieces. They were already a very good team. I think, uh, they have a very good chance of it, it being the Quebec representative coming out of at that league to play in Red Deer for the, for the 2016 Memorial Cup. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see how far Rowan Noranda goes, and he's going to be a you know a key piece in that uh, that championship run. So I'd say first things first, let's let Lazon play that season out, and and then uh, you know see what see what happens next. But right as of right now, um, you know he's either in the NHL next year or he goes back to the queue unless um, unless he and the Bruins feel like maybe going and playing a year of pro in Europe uh, it would would better suit him and and you know who knows uh but i would say that would be the only other option if he's not on the nhl roster next year thanks okay all right um anybody else have any further questions no okay anyone want to talk jesse gabriel he's, he's a guy that's kind of leading lighting it up here of, of late and um i have him eight uh on the amateur list and probably Again, when we get back to, he's really heated up since I filed this report. Um, and so some would say, hey, why isn't Gabriel in the top six? So the top six right now of the New England for the, for the amateurs uh, uh, side is Zach Sinitian's one. I've got Danton Heinen two. Uh, Jacob Forsbacher Carlson's three. Lausanne's four. Zaboral's five. And Jake DeBrusque is six. I think you can make a case for any of those. I, I would have a hard time putting Gabriel ahead of any of them, other than the fact that he's got 
27 goals and is now tied for the lead in, in goal scoring in the WHL. Uh, but he's a heck of a player, and he looks like a real fine out of the out of the fourth round for the Bruins. It's one of those things where you stuff and maybe some more ethic stuff. Um, but he's really cleaned it up. He's he's, he's been a just a, a a top echelon player for Prince George, and he's out he's out playing Jansen Harkins, uh, who's taken a full two rounds ahead of him. Um, and uh, that's certainly I had another out from another organization point that out to me um, the other day that just how good Jesse Gabriel is, is doing and how he's outperforming uh, quite a few players that were, you know, in the WHL that were drafted well ahead of him. That's just the way some of the, the stuff works sometimes. And it looks like the Bruins benefited nicely with him. Cool. I'm just thinking back to when I was 20, like when a lot of these kids were, I was working at a bakery. I don't think everyone paid that much attention to me. I, I moved from cookies to cashier, and then they, I guess I dropped out of the bakery league altogether. <laughs> it's been a yeah. now I work. It's just, it's just a crazy life these kids live. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I, you know, Gabriel was interesting. So in Redline, I went back and looked at our looked at our rankings um, last season, and and as far into January February timeframe, he was ranked as a second rounder, uh, and like like thirty five you know, type, which is, mm. you know, knocking on the door of the first round. And then he cratered. And I think he was like 130 something. And I, I'm not going to go into the details um, because it's really not my place. That was, you know, what was told to me is, you know, second, third hand information. Um, but um, it had to do, it, it had very little to do with talent, and more to do with commitment, dedication, things like that work habits. Uh, he was traded by, you know, from Brandon to Regina. And then again, you know, he was in Regina a little bit and then they flipped him over to Prince George. So I don't think it's, you know, it's not unfair to say, Hey, you know, there was something going on. What is absolutely fair to say for Gabriel is he seems to have taken that to heart. Uh, I imagine it came up uh, with the Bruins, you know, in terms of their discussions with him, Hey, you know, here's what we are aware of. Um, you know, we have, we've invested in you. We believe in you. Uh, but you, you know, you have got to, uh, you know, maybe clean this side up and to his credit, he's doing that. And, and this, so when people say, Oh, he was a fourth round pick, but he look, he's playing so well, you know, I throw this out as a caveat of, you know, some, some had him pegged as, as much closer, you know, to a second round, um, guy knocking on the door of the first round. So the ability was there. The fact that he slipped all the way into the fourth round kind of speaks volumes to where the league saw him. Because if anybody doubted some of those other things, they would have taken him well before the fourth round. You know, Jesse Gabriel would not have been there for Boston at 105. So that's just kind of how the draft works. And, you know, some teams will, will find that diamond in the rough later. Uh, in the draft, I mean, certainly if, if, if we went back to 2006 and teams could do it all over again, there's no way Brad Marchand, you know, isn't, is available in the third round. You know, he would have been a first round guy. Ditto Milan Lucic. You know, this is, this just illustrates that these kids are kids and they're not set in stone. And, uh, they have, you know, they, you know, some of them are going to develop in positive ways and be more than they were in their draft year. And other guys that are picked high, um, you know, are going to regress. Jacob Zaboral, I'm talking to you, um, you know, and you just gotta, you just, that's, that's part of the uncertainty and, and why, you know, uh, the draft, you know, it's, it's, it's not an exact science and, uh, 
You know, some teams are, are better at finding these diamonds in the rough so that, than others are. Um, but it is it is intriguing to, to know that the Bruins had, you know, six picks in the first 52. And one of the guys that's having the most statistical success of any of them, you know, has the most goals of any of them, um, was the guy who won 105th and, and was actually their eighth, their eighth pick. Um, that's just... <laughs> I mean, when you look at that, you're just like, hey, you, you can't, no statistical analysis is going to be able to, you know, no no look at advanced stats or anything like that is going to be able to, to draw a correlation. Um, that's just, you know, good old fashioned, you know, looking at the guy and saying, okay, we're going to take him here because this is, this is good value. And then the kid living up to it, some more power to him. I'd like a player who plays with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he feels like he should have been drafted before or something. I'm a big fan yeah. of Tom Brady. <laughs> that's him, that's him. Yeah, no, that's him to a T. He definitely does have a chip on his shoulder. I think, you know, maybe one might say, and again, this is just, a, this is just a supposition, but you know, he probably believed some of his press clippings, you know, maybe going into the draft. He probably thought when that second round rolled around, he was going to hear his name. And so he's sitting there and he doesn't hear his name called. And then the third round comes on. And he's like, okay, well, you know, Third round is definitely going to be it for me. This is, you know, uh, and then it doesn't happen third round. So now he's kind of like, hey, what the heck, you know? Um, and so then he's probably thinking in his mind, well, hey, first couple of picks for sure in the fourth round, I'm going to be off the board. And, you know, he starts getting down. Now, now you figure desperation is probably setting in. And here comes Boston. And I'm sure you all are aware he's, he's a Boston Bruins fan, loves Brad Marchand. And so now maybe he's thinking in his mind, oh, you know, this would just be so awesome um, if, if just if, if any team is going to believe in me, let it be the Bruins, and then they call his name. And I remember interviewing him right after he and he he had to actually take a pause in the middle of the interview. He, he said, you know, he started to talk and then he just like choked up and he he said, I'm sorry, I have to take a breath. I'm just I'm I'm so excited Aww. right now. I can't even you know. So it, you could definitely see it, it you know. At that point, all the angst of having to wait out the first three rounds, uh, you know, and, and half of the fourth had kind of left Jesse at that point. You know, he, here, here's a kid. Um, they had to go find an extra jersey for him because the Bruins had run out of, uh, of, of drafters. <laughs> they drafted so many guys that were actually there. Uh, true story. Uh, so he was a little late coming out. He, he was the very last guy that was actually present at the draft that they picked. Um, neither Cameron Hughes nor Jack Becker were there. Otherwise, they would have been, you know, in trouble. They probably would have had to, you know, figure something out there. But, um, but I remember him, you know, just sitting there and he just kept talking about just that he couldn't believe he, was, you know, that he was there. He was wearing the, he was wearing it, the Bruins, you know, jersey. There was his favorite team, and 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 so I think he certainly wanted to reward their faith. But at some point, you know, anger and the chip, you know, reestablishes itself, and then it's like, okay game on, I'm going to show everyone um, that they were foolish to pass on me. And, and um, I've, I've seen several of his games. And while the one game he played uh, last week against the Vancouver Giants was just like, oh my goodness. Um, he was just, it was domination. And so, you know, for the Bruins fans, it's, it's, it's understandable to get excited about a guy like that because, you know, he, you know, people keep comparing him to Brad Marchand and it's inevitable because that's his favorite player and that's who he wants to be like. But here's the thing. He's, he's six foot and he's 200 pounds. 
and he's got some nasty to him. You know, like like Marshand is more of an ag- agitator, but Marshand will often get himself in situations that his body, you know, is writing checks that he can't cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, not the case with, with Gabriel. I mean, he's got some size and he can fight. Um, you know, he's not going to be one of these guys that's running around, you know, do, you know, taking cheap shots and then not being able to back it up. Um, he's a, he is a, he is a, a hitter. Um, I mean, I'm watching this guy just knock guys off pucks, uh, go into corners and just knock guys out of the way, establish body position, win, win battles for loose pucks, all the, the things you need a guy to do. And then he's doing things like skating away from three defenders. He'll, he'll, he'll you know, pulling a puck out of a pile, you know, a, a kind of scrum out around the, the right face, uh, top of the right face off circle. He comes in, pulls the puck out of that pile, then skates away from everyone and fires an absolute laser over the goalie's shoulder, you know, top upper, upper left corner of the net on a shot that would have beaten any NHL goaltender. I'm, I'm convinced just, so you look at that and it's, 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 um, it's easy to get excited about a guy like that. But again, once you start, you know, you know, heaping the effusive praise on a kid like Jesse Gabriel, what happens next? The inevitable uh, discussion about, well, when is he going to be in Boston comes up, you know, and, and then, you know, there, there's this, there's this trend to want everyone to be in the lineup right away. And, and reality is you all know that, you know, life doesn't work like that. The guys that are there now, you know, you have to do the assessments and, and if, if Jesse Gabriel comes in, who goes out and all that, and that's up to the, that's up to the Bruins. So I just think people should enjoy the, the success and the run that the Bruins are having. I, I tweeted last night that, uh, you know, like six, I think six, eight uh, NCAA guys all scored last night. Maybe it was seven. Gabriel got another goal last night. I mean, it, it just seems like a, a never-ending trend for the Boston Bruins prospects right now where they're, they're, they're scoring, they're getting points. Um, I've not seen this in the 16 years. I've covered the Bruins prospects for the New England Hockey Journal. So, you know, it's a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, they haven't they haven't made it. They haven't proven themselves. It just shows that the Bruins have a pretty deep organization um, with some intriguing talent. And uh, it may not be a draft pedigree where these guys are top five picks, but um, they're they're playing like they could be top five picks. And uh, you know, for for the Boston Bruins and the fans, that's good news. So we have a lot to look forward to in the the coming years, I guess. Well, in now, I guess if we're watching juniors, for sure. No, I no, I, I think so. Um, but but uh, you know, I, the the good news for the Bruins is that that the way these players are are, are doing it, it gives them kind of the luxury to you know take their time. Right now, the Bruins are are playing well enough that they're not desperate. You know, they're not having to force players into the lineup before they're ready. The problem that the Bruins face is that fans want a contending team and. Um, windows are closing. You know, Tuka Rask is in the prime of his career. Patrice Bergeron's already 30 and will soon be on the wrong side of 30. And, 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 and there's an, probably an inevitable decline there. We're seeing it with Chara, certainly, in, in his play. Um, you know, if, you know there, there's, there's a case to be made which you can't be too patient. But at the same time, the good news for the Bruins is they're not being forced to take guys that are not ready for prime time and throwing them in where they just look, you know, play worse and things com- compound and, and they actually hinder the development. So they're going to have to make some tough choices. All of these guys are not going to play. They have a lot of, you know, uh, like I'm looking at my lists right now and on the pro side, there are 17 
on you know players that are that are in the system that are pro prospects either playing in, in Providence or Europe, and then on the amateur side you have 19. So that's 36 right now prospects off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's there's only a small percentage of those guys that can play. So the question then becomes, what do you do with the guys that aren't going to make the cut? Can the Bruins turn them into you know continue to turn those into assets down the road, future drafts, you know, trades? things like that, that's the challenge, and that's what will determine whether the Bruins emerge from this mini-rebuild, um, retool, reboot, whatever you want to call it after missing the playoffs last year, and reestablish themselves as a top team in the, in the, in the Eastern Conference, in the league as a whole, or whether these guys end up not being as good as we think they're going to be. You know, they, they end up not being what they're cracked up to be or projected to be, and the Bruins stay in the middle of the pack. That's going to be the, that's going to be the intriguing thing to watch uh, going forward for the next two, three, four, five years or longer. All right. Um, I think Anthony has one final question. Um, w- with your point of the uh, NCAA players scoring last night, how do you view um, Matt Greslick's game down at BU since returning from injury? Well, man, yeah, he's he's been fantastic. I mean, four goals in, in uh, two games – since coming back, um, the one thing to note, so he had, he had a right knee injury that he had surgery on, um, rehabbed, you know, missed the beginning of the year, came in, played, played, I believe five games, six games. And then he re-injured the other, he injured the other. Knee. So that's, that's important to point out. It wasn't, it wasn't a re-aggravation of the, the, the one knee, but now he's got injuries on both. So that's a bit of a, you know, I'm gonna have to watch and see how that goes. Um, but I've always been a real, um, a real proponent of Matty Griswick. Um, I remember sitting, sitting in Belmont uh, Hill, watching him skate around everybody. Um, you know, when he was 15, 16 years old, um, before he went up to the national team uh, development program. And um, back, back in the in the 2012 draft, I was, I was surprised that the Bruins took him in the third round and very happy for him. But I was, I was surprised because he wasn't this guy that was really rated all that high on the public list and wasn't seen as a, you know, as a top 90 pick and, and, and he really made himself into one. So you can really see the promise that he has. And so I, you saw the list. He's, he's seven. So he's just behind, I had him just behind Jake DeBrusque. Again, that, that illustrates the difficulty of doing these lists because they're sub- for the most part, they're subjective. I mean, I use analytics and I talk to, to pro scouts and I, you know, I do my own assessment process. And there's, it's, this year has been the hardest uh, it's ever been because so many players are, are doing well. Um, but I have him high because I think his size is not going to be an object. He's so smart. Um, he's, uh, you know, again, I stay away from comparisons, so I'm not going to make the obvious Boston Bruins roster comparison that everyone else does uh, with him, but, but they're, they're different players. I mean, you know, Grizzlick is a, is a, is a, is a plus skater, uh, and the knock on him was he needed to work on his shot. Well, when you score, you know, three goals in a game and you're the first BU defenseman to do it in 12 years, that's saying something. I think he's, you know, certainly been doing that. So I like him a lot. Uh, um, Jay Pandolfo went out of the way to tell me when I was going through the, the top ranking, he said, Hey, you didn't mention Matt Griswick, you know, and, and Rob O'Gara. Those are two guys we are really high on. And, and, you know, that's, that's worth noting. So for fans out there, they're real concerned that the Bruins aren't going to try to sign these guys or don't have, have them in their plans. I would, I would put them at ease a little bit. Um, but overall, 
they're uh, they're 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 looking good, and um, especially Matt Grizzly, especially given that that performance he had, you're really seeing how important he was to the, the Terriers and how not having him in the lineup, you know, hurt them in the standings. Excellent, thank you. All right, Kirk, I think that we're gonna um, wrap up this part of the segment. Um, we thank you so much for allowing our time or allowing to, us to have some time to talk about prospects with you. Well, I appreciate you guys letting me go on and on and on. I think <laughs> we loved know, it. brevity, brevity is not my, my friend, but the great thing about a podcast is people can, you know, they can do the old Roberto Duran thing and say no mas when they've had it off and, you know, <laughs> you know, terminate it or move it along, or they can sit there and just, you know, Take listen to all the, all I will say is that I don't have a monopoly on opinions. You know, I could I could be completely wrong on absolutely everything I said, and and if I did, if I am, please don't uh, retweet this. Uh, you know, repeatedly in, in in the next five years to to tell to tell the world how wrong I was. But, but no, I, I think it, it, it. You know, if you're a Bruins fan right now and you're paying attention to to what is coming down the pipeline, they're in a good spot. Yeah, I, I think that we all just sat here kind of like in total awe because <laughs> you just yeah, pretty much. laid out a lot of information for us. And I think that we're all going to have to re-listen to it again and again and again to get it all to sink in. But I think we're just like, we're just tickled. <laughs> no, well, I, no, again, I appreciate you uh, you guys asking me on and, um, you know, uh, good luck with the, with the more, you know, further podcasts. And I hope this... Uh, is something you guys can continue to do. And again, you know, for, for those Coco fans out there, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I like the kid. I think he works hard uh, at doing at, at doing certain things. I'm not sure that he's doing what he really needs to, and that therein lies the rub. And the proof's in the pudding. I mean, you know, don't tell me how good he is at something. You know, tell me how he's actually leveraged that is what I would say at this point. We all know he's a skilled player. We all know that he could, he could bring more to the table than he has. And at the end of the day, it's it's unfortunate, but not everyone can make it. And um, I think when you look at a kid like Frank Vetrano, the big difference is Vetrano has embraced the Bruins' organizational values. You know, he brings better speed to the game, but he's doing the little things. Look at the way he, he, he hustles on the back check. Look at the way he's feisty and he gets in there. He crashes the net. Uh, last night, Wurkosh was working him over because he drove, you know, he drove the net, knocked it off the moorings. Um, that was, those are all things I have yet to see Coco do at the NHL level. I've seen him do it in the, in the, in the AHL, but I haven't seen it at the NHL. So if people are really looking for a reason as to why it hasn't worked, I would, I would just say go, go look at the video, go look at the situations, and, and ask yourself, is he doing the little things? And I think um, the response is going to be obvious. All right, so we look forward to the article coming out in the New England Hockey Journal, hopefully this week, do you think? I think so. I, w- I would be surprised if it, if it doesn't, because we're already starting to work, uh, work toward February. And uh, I will be profiling Luke McGinnis, um, who's playing at Youngstown. He's a, he's a, he was the All-American Prospects game MVP, and he's the son of former NHL and Bruin forward Marty McGinnis, for those who uh, hey. may, may not be aware of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, so, Marty McGinnis had a hat trick against the Devils in the 2003 playoffs, I think. Yeah, he was a great, great college player. Great speed. Was his, the speed was the name of his game. He was more of a defensive, 
you know, checker, grinder forward at the NHL level, um, but he was so fast, and, and, and Luke didn't, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree there. Luke's got his dad's wheels, um, which he needs because he's, he's an undersized defenseman. You know, he's, he's um, you know, sub-six-footer, sub but uh, really, you know, good good vision and creativity. So he'll be the, uh, we're firing up the prospects pulse coverage for the uh, 2016 NHL draft for the New England area, and, and Luke McGinnis is, is on tap for our, our February issue. So, so yeah, I, I hope the January issue comes out soon. And when it does, I'll tweet out the link on, uh, on Twitter. And, and again, it's, it's free. So everyone can just go online and read the, the digital version or go to your local rink uh, in New England and, and, and pick up the hard copy. All right. Excellent. And we, uh, listeners can follow you at uh, K 29 on Twitter. And Correct. anything else that you want to kind of plug while you're at it? No, just a reminder that I, I do this for the Redline Report. So we're, we're the independent scouting service, www.redlinereport.com. It is a, it is a pay service, but if you're a, if you're a draft junkie, um, you know, we're in the rinks and um, we're seeing all the players and we, you know, we rank, uh, we, we assess the players just like a, a 31st NHL team would. So, Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's another, it's another avenue by which to get prepared for the 2016 draft, which looks like it's going to be another good one. All right. Okay, well, thank you for joining us today, Kirk. I hope that you will uh, join us again in the future. Anytime, guys. Take care. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All righty. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. All right, so we talked about those things. I guess we could talk about bare necessities. Jeff. Okay. Oh, we got a lot of we got, got a lot of games this week, right? So we got you know the Rags on Monday night, um, uh, the Flyers on Wednesday, and then uh, the Sabers on Friday, and the Leafs on Saturday. So that's 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 a lot of that's a lot of games and a lot of drinking. It's also a lot of bad teams, um, almost exclusively bad teams actually. So that's fun. Now, so uh, you're drinking black velvet, is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's him, not me. Um, well, I uh, I've, I've almost. Drank all of the um, uh, the coffee milk stout that I uh, imported under cover of darkness, unfortunately. But um, uh, you know, what else do I have? Unfortunately, you imported it, or unfortunately, unfortunately, I've drank all. I've drank most of it. I got this is my second to last can right now. I got one more of those, and then I got some scotch, and I got some wine, and I'll probably have to go to the liquor store at some point because it's a lot of games this week. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you happen to see my bar? Or my my liquor when you came over? I, I did oh. not. <laughs> okay, it was almost your eye level, so that's why I was wondering. Um, because on top of the one cabinet, we have all of our liquor, and uh, I n- almost never have to go to a liquor store if I want some kind of liquor. If I want beer, I occasionally have to go. But anyway, it's not about me. It's about the next person who wants to talk about the bare necessities. Who's drinking this week? It's Nick. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I'm done with my Robitussin re- uh, regiment. So <laughs> regiment. <laughs> I have, I'm finally going to drink the beer I bought for the Winter Classic, which is Samuel Adams Winter Classics Pack. What? Yeah. I bought they... that like the middle of December. They're like, ooh. Yeah, it's just, but it's, it's, you know, it's got all their seasonal winter beers in it, and it's called Winter Classics. I was oh. like, well, how perfect is this for the Winter Classic? I'll buy the Winter Classics for the Winter Classic. I did not get to enjoy the Winter Classic or the Winter Classics. Um, but, you know, now is the time. Now is the time. 
I would argue that nobody really enjoyed Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, There's nothing enjoyable about that game. The The game would have been better anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so... um, Okay, so you're going to... Okay, so do you have, like, the cranberry lambic in there and stuff? Oh, yeah, I actually haven't opened it yet, so we'll see what's in there. Hmm, old Fezziwig. Um... Uh, some kind Probably of order, standard I think. winter ale as well, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably a lot of dark stuff as well. You know, that's it's usually what they, you drink in the winter. <clears throat> yeah, I, we get it from. Well, we usually get it every winter. This this winter we're, we're doing crazy stuff. So, um, but uh, good for you. I'm glad that you're going to enjoy that finally. Mm-hmm. All right, who's next? Anthony. I've actually been drinking a. The weather has been pretty dreadful here in New Hampshire. It's raining sideways right now, looking out my window. Um, but with the cold and the rain and the snow, I've been drinking tropical stuff just because fuck you, winter. Um, it's kind of like when I was watching Tampa Bay in the playoffs last year. It was margaritas all the time. Okay, go ahead. It's been a mix of rum, coconut rum, blue, carousel, caraco, however you say it. Carousel. Carousel and pineapple juice. Oh, and I've been geez. drinking it in hurricane glasses. I, I saw it on Facebook. It looks lovely. It's oh. a very lovely looking drink. That is a whole lot of sweet. I can only have like one though. Yeah, I think all my teeth would fall out of my mouth with that one. I used to drink those all the time in Korea. Or was no Hong Kong. It was like a blue Hawaiian or something. Oh like yeah, that. those were good. <laughs> I, I think that's the name of it. Is the blue Hawaiian? Yeah. I've got a couple of different books that I use for all of my recipes, Ooh. and the Blue Hawaiian is different in all of them. Well, some people like it more Hawaiian, and some people don't. Some people like it blue. Or blue. <laughs> you know, when we, we went out for um, we went out for Jewish Christmas, I got a Kahlua colada, and <laughs> it was so bizarre. It was Kahlua instead of... Um, no, actually, it was it was Kahlua added to basically a pina colada. Ew. Oh, it was oh. yeah, it was kind of like it's enjoyable and not, and I don't really know what I think about it, but I'm just gonna keep drinking it. I thought it was like one of those Dunkin' Donuts things when you first said it, not like a colada, but a coolada, you know. <laughs> so I was like, that sounds good, and then you said pineapple, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. It, yeah. I mean, it was like. I think the pineapple was in there. It it was just bizarre. But anyway, I'm not I'm not drinking that for bare necessities. Um so okay, blue Hawaiians for Anthony because everything's gotta be tropical. <laughs> Do you put on a hula skirt? Do you have umbrellas. You gotta have the umbrellas. I don't have umbrellas. Maraschino I do, cherries. Do wish I had the hula skirt though. Alright, so Tim or Kate. One of you two. I'm, I'm fighting off a cold, so I'm going to be on the sidelines this week imbibing in cough medicine and like other such fun fluids as like tea and soup. So I, I'm, I'm going to be out this week for that. That's all. <laughs> wow. None of those sound like bare necessities. No, I know. Oh. They are necessary, but they're not fun. I, um, during the week, like I've said before, I try not to drink during the week. But the weekend games, I actually am not going to be with my Canadian government whiskey of Black Velvet. I have upgraded a tiny bit. (laughs) A tiny bit. And I bought some absolute vanilla. 
and I am going to be mixing it with one of two things. Um, orange soda, so you know, like a creamsicle thing going on, an orange creamsicle thing going on there. And also with raspberry ginger ale. So oh, yeah. those are the two things that I shall be drinking. Um, it will be delicious. The only thing is, is I had a little bit of the vanilla yesterday. I forgot how sweet the vodka is. It's a very sweet vanilla that Absolute puts out. Um, I think it's property of Sweden, but... I heard that you should mix it in with Coke. I mean... Like Coca-Cola. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, okay. Yes. Okay. I mean, I was going to say, I've, I've snorted Coke once, but the uh, ice cube actually got stuck in the straw when I was... Oh. But... Jesus. Yeah, you said... <laughs> I, 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 may, I may acquire some Coca-Cola on the corner and put it with that as well. God, I really wanted to hear about your wild re- Coke Ranger. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow. I mean, everyone's allowed to have their youthful indiscretions. <laughs> you know? Okay, so my bare necessities. I um, am probably not going to drink anything this week. Because I am possibly coming down with something. I'm really sick of it. Just hit me now. Just just let me be sick. Or stop imprisoning me in this like system of fevers and then normalcy. Really. I'm just tired of it. Just let me yeah, be sick. Nice. I've got a little bit of a cough, but it's not that bad. Ah, whatever. I'm just sick of it. We'll but edit I mean, all that out. I'm not going to drink anything this week because I'm possibly ill. I'm also thinking about not drinking for January. But anyway. Let the whole say, thing run. <laughs> no to drugs. All right. So that about wraps it up for our show. Uh, again, we want to thank so ever much Kirk Ludicky for being on with us and giving us so much great information. It was just great. I hope he comes back again what do you guys think oh absolutely absolutely. it was fantastic yeah and um you know we want to remind you that we can be found on soundcloud on itunes on stitcher you can talk to us uh by tweeting at at us on barely on topic on twitter uh talk to us on our facebook page which is barely on topic as well and um we might have some other things coming up in the future, other ways that you can talk to us, but uh, we're still working on those. Anyway, um, we want to give out some shout outs first to Mandy and Ellen for being so wonderful and providing us with a wonderful, spectacular bonus episode, um, giving their take on the Winter Classic. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we're getting some good feedback from that, so we want to thank them. We want to thank... Brett in the back row for talking to us again. He's going to a game next month. Bruins game at Columbus. He's very excited. I think that would be a good time. Uh, Anybody else that we have in mind? Nah. I'm going to thank your mom and dad privately. Anyway. um, (laughs) All right. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back, I think, next week. So, Tim, you want to take us out? Word. 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 <laughs> Word.
to your mother. <laughs> Colabra a tu madre. <laughs> <laughs>